Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture, as we dive into week three of Reframe, where we're looking at the book of Philippians, and we're allowing Paul's words in this great little letter to shape the way we see the world, I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians 1. I'm just going to look at a short passage this week, but it's so powerful because I think it speaks to what we need to hear today. And as we think about seeing the world in a different way, I, I was reading about an astronaut, Al Worden, who was part of the Apollo 15 mission back in 1971. He was one of the lunar landing missions, but Al didn't go to the moon. He, he was actually commanding the module that circled the moon. And so the rest of the team was down on the moon's surface, and there he is, 2,200 miles away from the nearest person. I mean, they describe it, it's probably the loneliest place you could be. And yet, what he saw changed his perspective. As he got on the dark side of the moon, and he looked out into the universe. Listen to his words. I thought it was fascinating as he wrote. He said, I got to look at the universe out there with a very different perspective, in a very different way than anyone had before. What I found was that the number of stars was just so immense. In fact, I couldn't pick out individual stars. It was like a sheet of light. I found that fascinating because it changed my ideas about how we think about the universe. There are billions of stars out there. The Milky Way galaxy that we're in contains billions of stars, not just a few. And there are billions of galaxies out there. So what does that tell you about the universe? That tells you that we just don't think big enough. He says, you want to feel insignificant? (laughs) Go behind the moon sometime. That'll make you feel like you're really nothing. You know, it's fascinating to me. Here's a man who was an astronaut. I mean, if anybody has been trained who knew what was out there intellectually, but when he looked at it, and he saw it in a new perspective, it changed not only how he viewed the world, it changed how he viewed himself. You know, I think the the same is true of the Bible. It happens so often in my life, and it really has been true of this book of Philippians. Man, I know this book. I've read it, I don't know, countless times, hundreds of times maybe. But you read through it right now, and you hear that truth, and you see it in a way, and it changes the way I see the world, and hopefully it's helping change the way you see the world. But it's also changing the way we see ourselves. And each week I've been just grabbing a verse or two and I call it the reframe verse of the week because I think it's such a powerful, potent truth that it helps us really latch onto it. In the first week we, we looked at the fact that Paul was confident, we are confident that God who began this good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We know he's going to finish what he started in us. L- last week we looked at Paul's kind of life motto when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This week he's going to turn now, because he's talking to the Philippians, and he's going to exhort a little bit more. So he's commanding them, he's commanding us with some powerful principles of how do you live in a world, how do you live in a culture, remember in Philippi, a culture that really is anti-Christian. A culture that looked at the church and thought, you guys are crazy what you believe. How do you live in a government that changes its perspective all the time? Remember, Paul's on on trial for his life. He doesn't know how the emperor's going to rule. How do we do this in a way that makes a difference? 
Let's look at our reframe verse of the week. It's our first verse in the passage. And I only took part of it. First half of the verse here. When he says in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's the English Standard Version. That's the version I preach out of now. Sometimes ESV, I like parts of it. Sometimes because it is very literal in it, when you're memorizing or a phrase like this, it's not always flowing as well or sometimes not always as clear. I thought the NIV in particular on this passage helps as well. Paul says, whatever happens, or that same as only, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, whether you choose ESV or, or NIV or NAS, there's a lot of translations. All of them are working with that same Greek text that was given to us from the Holy Spirit through these writers, in this case, the Apostle Paul. But the truth of it that's there, and, and this is what I want us to grab, because I think when we talk about reframing, it's like putting on some glasses and seeing the world different and seeing ourselves differently. And as you look at ourselves, Paul looks at us and he says, hey, here's what I want to tell you. Only let the manner of your life, only let your conduct itself be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's kind of three parts to this passage. Look at the first part on this. He says, you are consistent regardless of the circumstances. So when you think of what he's calling us to do, he says, I'm calling you guys to be consistent only no matter what. That's what that phrase means in it. And, and personally, I love the simplicity of that, especially when you think about a changing world and you think about a changing culture. You think about all that's going on. Notice he doesn't write the Philippians and, and he says to them, well, if this happens, I want you to do this. Now, if the government does that, though, I want you to go with plan B in this. And well, if they respond this way, go. It, there's just this simplicity that he says, hey, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter how they respond. I'm, I'm going to give you just a simple truth that you need to just be absolutely consistent in this. I, I love that because here's the reality. The world's changing so fast. And whether we believe it or not, the day's going to come where we're all sitting around and we look back and we go, you remember the pandemic? Man, you remember COVID? You remember all that went with that? All the things that we're living. Right now, we're on the roller coaster, and it's hard to see past it. And, and there'll be something we face then that we might look back at this and go, oh, man, we thought this was hard. That's more challenging. There'll be things that come in the culture. There'll be things that come as a nation. There'll be things that come as a people. Guys, life keeps changing. That's why I love truths like this. That's why I phrase like this. When Paul can look at a people of God and he says, hey, okay, I know everything's going to change, but here's what I want you to do no matter what. No matter what. See, it's not responsive to what's going on out there. Remember, it's that internal thing of what's happening, of what God's doing in me. So what is that with it? Well, the second thing he says they are, you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That, that word conduct yourself literally means be a citizen or live out your citizenship. And so I, I did a series this last year on the kingdom of God. For this very reason, with all this change going on, I, I think it's so easy for us to get focused on the kingdoms of our countries and the kingdoms of this world. And it's easy for us to identify there first. And, and Paul goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember, let's get that big picture perspective. Let's look at that sheet of stars and realize how big the world is. 
And let's look at you and, and help each one of us realize more than Roman citizens, more than American citizens, man, we, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And there's something that goes with that, that conduct that goes with it. And, and as you, you think about that, I mean, this is a great time to think about it because the Olympics are going on. I love the Olympics. I find myself drawn into it and, and watching the races and the swimming. And, and you know, I'm an American citizen, so I, when I'm watching a race swimming, I'm looking for that American flag in the lane, and, and we're cheering as a family, and, and we're cheering with it. Why? Because there's a, a kinship that I feel with this country. I, I mean, I'm a citizen of this country. I, I also, though, i I, I got to tell you, I, I love when I see especially athletes from small countries. And when they're able, when I watched a swimmer the other night from Tunisia, and he won a gold medal. I mean, in swimming from Tunisia. And just to see the, the joy with that, or, or the weightlifter from the Philippines, who, who the first gold medal in the history of the, the Philippines, in 97 years of competing, she brings home the first gold medal. And you just see the joy of that and read some of her stories. She's a believer in her faith with it. I mean, you love that, and, and, and maybe my favorite part, when you watch them and they're on the medal stand and they hear their national anthem, and that the tears start coming, and you see their family crying with it, that there's that identification there, and, and again, I think we can celebrate those things. But we need to remember, in the same way that we feel that bond to our country, Paul says, hey, you have even a greater bond. We have a bond, and it's one of the things I love being a part of Venture, is we have people in our church who their citizenship may be from countries all over this planet, but we have a greater bond together as citizens of the kingdom of God. And, and Paul looks at us and he calls us together. He says, hey, never forget that citizenship. Never forget what you have in it. You know, George Schultz was a secretary of state under Ronald Reagan. And before they would send ambassadors out, he, he would always bring them into his office. He'd do a test. And, and, you know, they're being sent to a country. He said, I want you to go over to, he had a big globe. He says, you need to go immediately to the globe and identify your country. And so the ambassador would go and they wanted to prove, oh, I know where I'm doing, know where I'm going. And they'd spin the globe and they'd immediately put their finger on the country where they're going. Except for Mike Mansfield, who had been a senator, he was named as ambassador to Japan. And Schultz tested him. He said, hey, I want you to go put your finger on your country. The Mansfield spun the globe. And he put his finger on the United States. He says, I'm going there. But this is my country. And Schultz said, from that time forward, he would tell every ambassador that went, hey, you're going to that country, but you represent this country. Represent us well. See, that's what Paul's saying to us. Christ is going to send us all over this globe. We're going to find ourselves in all different circumstances. But we're to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And as we do that, look at the third part with it. You are a credit to the gospel of Christ. Third part is you're to be a credit. And when I say that credit and debit. I mean, you have a credit on the book, you look at it, you go, man, that's a good thing. You, a debit on the book, you go, ooh, what's going on there? Paul says that in that phrase when he says, live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Now, let me be real clear on a phrase like that, worthy of the gospel, because people can get messed up if you take it out of context. You might hear that 
as, okay, I have to be worthy enough to have earned the gospel. I have to be worthy enough. You think about that citizenship that's there. I hope I've done enough to pass the citizenship test. I hope I've done enough in life. In fact, that mentality is the core of every religion on this planet. That the afterlife or nirvana or paradise or the reward or the life to come, that you've got to do enough to be worthy of entry into that. Now, here's the difference with Christianity. Christianity has some really bad news and it has some really good news. Here's the bad news of Christianity. Christianity and the Bible looks at every single one of us on this planet and says, you'll never be worthy. You'll never do enough. You're never good enough. Not one of you, by the way. All of us are in the same camp. That's the bad news. The good news is then the gospel comes and says, Jesus is worthy. He's good enough. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And, and I would encourage you, as you, you hear that and know that, this phrase, to be a credit for the gospel or to live worthy of the gospel, Paul's not saying you've got to do something to get into the kingdom. He's saying as a result, let's flip it around. He says, since you've received the gospel, since you are a citizen of the kingdom, man, you want to live in a way that you're a credit to it. You want to live in a way that people go, oh man, I like that. I see that. I'd compare it to my family. I've got a bunch of kids. I've got seven kids and we love all of them. They're all Lundies, except the ones that have been married, but they're still Lundies in my heart. And, and as we look at them, I, I mean, I love my kids no matter what. There's not a one of them. They've got to earn the right to be in our family. There's not a one of them that has to earn the right to stay in our family. They're in our family no matter what. But every single one of them, I would look at them and say, hey, you're Lundy. And we want to live in a way that's honorable in this world. We want to live in a way that makes a difference in people's lives. We, we want to live in a way that, that the heritage of our family, we carry that. that. That's what our father is saying to us. He says, you're a part of my family. And you're not in the family because you are worthy enough. And, and so let go of that. You never will be. You don't stay in the family because you're worthy enough. So he's not looking at us in the same way I don't look at my kids and say, you can never mess up. Man, I want to be there in their mistakes. But he is speaking to every one of us. And he says, it is a special privilege. It is a gift that you've been given. We're in the family of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so Paul looks at all of us and, and he says, hey, I want to shape the way you look at the world. Look at the world as a place that you get to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and don't be just glad you got in. Man, live in a way that you're living up to the family name. You're living for that kingdom. Now, how do you do that? Well, he continues on. Let's read the whole passage in this section. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and from God. So he says, live out in this way, whether I'm there or not, you do this together. And the three things together, you're standing firm, you're striving side by side, and you're not frightened. 
no matter what comes. So, so look at the principles that Paul breaks down in this. The first thing that you see, this conduct, this kingdom conduct that we're called to should be internally motivated, not externally enforced. Here, here's what I mean in that. Paul says, hey, I want you guys to live this way whether I come to see you or not, whether I'm there or not. And I want you to just live this way because the Apostle Paul showed up, so everybody's got to be on their best behavior, and so we'll be good now. He says, that can't be the motivation out of this. I mean, it's got to come out of what Christ is doing in you, and you're internally. I, I think this is one of the, the key things. And, you know, when unbelievers or people that don't follow Christ, they look at Christians, that part of it, they don't like some of the hypocrisy they can see at times. Because in the right context, we can be externally motivated, like at church and around the right people. We put on the right face in that way. But then when we're alone, we operate differently. We don't have that kind of consistency that he was talking about. You live your life consistent in that. And, uh, you know, when you think of it, there's a part that it can be kind of fake. I remember years ago, Lee and I went to Shanghai. We were visiting a buddy that was there. We were in Bangkok, and he called and said, hey, could you come up for a few days? So we flew up to see him. And, and we were driving in from the airport, and as we were going, everything was beautiful. I mean, it really, Shanghai is a beautiful city with it. But even the drive from the airport, everything you see was so clean with that. And I, said, I was like, is it always this clean? And he said, well, we just had this conference here, and they had leaders from all over the world. So they've made a concerted effort, especially on this road from the airport into the city. They want everything to look perfectly. In fact, he, he said something to the driver. He said, hey, turn over in the next, next street. And so, and so we went, and there was a street, and we were looking, and I saw these, it looked like apartment buildings that were nice and clean. As soon as we turned and we went far enough in, they had built a facade. It actually was like a, a stage flat. It was far enough from the road you really couldn't tell, and brilliant with artists that looked like a building there, and right on the other side of the facade, there were slums. And so, so for that one drive, especially to get ready for the conference, they, they wanted it to look in a way that just looked perfect, that everything in it. Now, I would say every country does this. We all put our best face forward. I, but as I looked at it, I was like, man, what a picture. And I realized, what a picture I can do in my life. And it's, it's easy for me to put up the facade if the right people are around. But to have that consistency to go, okay, now I'm a king, citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and whether anybody sees it or not, this is how I want to live my life. This is how I want to conduct myself. Now, notice as well, though, if you read through this passage, this conduct is not meant to be lived alone. Over and over again, Paul will say you do this together. You do this as one. You're striving side by side. The whole concept of this, and, and I would just say, frankly, you can't make it alone. When you're talking about a culture that is opposed, you're talking about all these things going on, if you're going to live as a citizen, there is no solo citizen. We are called citizens. We're part of his kingdom together. And, and I say this, and I just say that some of you, you are working so hard to live this out, but you're doing it all alone. And you don't have Christian community. And you don't have brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have people coming alongside you. And, and if you try to do that too long, I don't care who you are. You just don't make it. It doesn't last. And so part of what Paul's saying is, man, you have to, it's a team sport. We're called in this together. 
And then he, those three things, I pointed out for you those three things of what does it really look like that we do together? Well, look at the first thing that we do together. The three aspects. One, we stand together. We do not waver on what we believe. He says, standing firm. And, and specifically, he's speaking about, man, we stand firm on the truth that we believe. We stand firm on what Christ has revealed to us. We stand firm on what the gospel is. As believers, we stand firm on what is the doctrine of our faith? What are those core things that we stand on? And he says, man, you got to stand side by side to stand firm in it. And again, I, you know, just kind of tracking what's going on in the world right now, especially in churches and younger generation, you'll hear a, a couple of terms. One of the popular ones is a lot of people say, I'm deconstructing my faith. And, uh, I'm, and, and there's a part of it that can be healthy. Because sometimes we grow up with such a, a perspective on the way Christianity has to be. And so you reach adulthood and you look at it and you go, wait, is that really what the Bible said? And, and so some are going, like, I'm deconstructing what is really real and maybe what was the things that we added to it. The, the problem with it is I watch people on this journey. You'll, you'll see this deconstruction. Man, it, it starts maybe sometimes on fringe issues. But you see people walking away from the core of the faith. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about worship leaders. I mean, you look out there, it, it can be alarming in some ways. Another term that you'll see on Twitter is kind of the hashtag exvangelical. Instead of evangelical, I'm an exvangelical. Now, again, part of it is a backlash of, unfortunately, some of the things that have been attached with evangelicalism that we got caught up in. But there's also this, this undercurrent, and I've seen it a lot, of just walking away from some of these core things of the faith. Specifically, and, and hear me, because we, we could get into all the different side issues. I would say at a core level, a willingness to question, is the Bible really the revealed Word of God? And do we take it as the inerrant Word of God, as His truth that is still valid and true and the objective truth that we live by today? That's up for question with a lot of people. People that would call themselves Christian within the church. And, and then I think with that, I, you kind of go side by side. Is Jesus, the revealed Son of God, the exclusive way to the Father? The exclusive way of salvation? And again, I, I'm surprised as people start deconstructing and start walking in this, how quickly they'll move from this. It was interesting, years ago, I was in Rwanda. I've had the opportunity to go to Rwanda several times. This was post the genocide, if you know the history of Rwanda. And, and a couple of my friends there, Bishop John Rushahana, who led the reconciliation effort and the reconciliation council as the country was healing. And then Archbishop Kalini, an Anglican bishop, very conservative Anglican bishop. And part of it was their work in Rwanda. But it's interesting, they also were part of launching a movement of conservative Anglican churches in America. The number of people that were either Episcopalian or Anglican who were conservative in their belief, conservative in their belief of Scripture and the moral teachings of Scripture, the sexual teaching of Scripture, and they wanted to launch Anglican churches, and they were having trouble in areas, especially areas that had really liberal churches that had walked away on some of those issues. And so Archbishop Kalini was willing to be their sponsoring bishop and launched and started these churches. Well, as a result, I mean, you can imagine... Some of the churches here, they brought him up on charges in their worldwide denomination. I'm not Anglican, but within that, within there, he had to go to a council in England. 
And there was a council of bishops, and he was brought up on charges of being schismatic, of being divisive in it. And he's a very humble man. And as he's brought in, and, and you know the council that was established there, and the ones that were frankly, and I'm sad to say, they were bishops from America that were making these charges. And, and the bishops who brought the charge, and they said, you, you've created a schism. You've divided us. And, and as they were about to dive into all the issues they may disagree on, the issues of what do you do with homosexuality and the issues of marriage and issues that, frankly, as the conservative church, they disagreed. But before they began the whole thing, Archbishop Kalini said, you know, I may be able to save us some time. If I can have those who are accusing me, if they can answer two questions. And I think in answering these two questions, we might be able to get to the heart of the issue. Archbishop Kalini looked at him and he said, here's the first question. Can you say that the Bible is the inspired and errant Word of God? His very truth revealed to us. And that that truth is the exclusive truth that has been given to us from God. He said, I'm not saying there's not other forms of revelation, but there's been no written revelation that reveals a truth like that. Can you agree with me on that? And it was interesting because many of the presiding bishops obviously agreed with it. But those who were bringing charges kind of looked at him and they said, well, are you talking about all parts of the Bible? And he says, all parts of the Bible. And are you saying the Bible's exclusive compared to other religion? And, that? and they started debating all that. And he said, I think you've answered my question on that one. And then he said, my second question, can you say to me, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life and he is the exclusive means of salvation, way of salvation to the Father. And again, the presiding council looked at it, and they agreed. Most sitting there would go, yes, that, that is our core. But those who had brought the charges started to kind of waffle, and they said, well, Jesus is certainly a way of salvation. But we feel like maybe you've overstepped when you say he is the way of salvation. And Kalini stopped and he just smiled at that point and he said, in answer to your question, I think you have proven that yes, we have a divide between us. But I would say we are not the ones who moved. So I'd love for us to heal this divide, but it will only be healed if you're willing to come back to the historic faith that our church has stood upon and upon which we stand firm. And then he left. And there, there was debate, but no charges were brought against him. And, and even as he was telling the story, I, I asked him, because I, I, I mean, he could have been, rem, uh, his, his title removed, everything, his, all his authority out of that. And I, I said, Bishop Kleene, were you nervous? And he smiled kind of with his Rwandan accent. He goes, oh, Tim, when you've been through a genocide, church councils don't scare you. And, and there was a part as we, we talked, he kind of laughed with it. But I, I love the clarity of what he brought it back to. Because instead of debating, and here's what we do. We want to debate all the issues down here and maybe what we disagree that. He goes, hey, let's get back to the core first. Let's stand on this first. And hear me, because some of you, maybe you have questions. Maybe you're walking through your faith journey. And it's easy to kind of chase this book or that theory or that. I, I understand that. But hear me. It's a dangerous path when you leave the core that the Bible is God's revealed word.
It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's unchanging in that truth. And we stand on it. And it's a dangerous path when you start drifting into any other way or means of salvation other than Jesus Christ. Paul says, stand firm together. With that, though, he says we're also to strive together. We do not wait silently and passively. I love that. You're standing firm, but you're also striving side by side. It's two symbols there. The one is, man, you're standing. You're not going to give up what is true, but you're also striving. That, that word is you're still taking ground. You're still sharing the good news. You're, you're still believing lives are changed by the gospel. Now, no matter what the opposition's doing, no matter what the culture's doing, it's this unbelievable belie- uh, belief that because Jesus Christ has changed our lives, we know he can change your life too, no matter where you're coming from. So it gives you that confidence, and that's why the New Testament was always a New Testament of go make disciples. Jesus looked at his disciples, go and preach. And so sometimes when we're talking about this, and you talk about the culture, and you talk about being defensive, we can get a mentality of, yo, yeah, it's bad out here. We're going to just stand firm on the truth and kind of be the holy huddle, and hopefully they'll leave us alone. That's never been the gospel. The gospel always looks out and says, it doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. If Jesus can change our life, he can change their life too. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. I love the way that Stanley Jones put it as he talked about the, the, the early church. He said, when the early church, these first Christians, they never wring their hands in despair and say, look what the world has come to. Instead, with great delight, they declare, look what has come to the world. You hear the difference in that? It's not, look what the world has come to. Instead, they look and they go, ha, oh, look what's come to the world. Look at this message of Jesus. That's what we have. And then you have the third part to that. We stand together, we strive together, and we stay together. Paul says you don't get alarmed, you don't get scared. We don't wilt in the face of opposition. He said, in fact, you're not afraid by anything they're doing. That term he uses is the same term of a horse that gets startled real easy and wants to run off. He says, no, we're not like that. Man, we stand together because we have the truth. We're we're striving together because we want to share that truth. And we stay together because we know how much we need each other. And so we're not scared by them. No matter what. I, I, I love this voice of wisdom. Remember, he's writing this from prison. He's been through all this before. And so, so he's calling them, hey, let me give you a voice of experience out of that. In fact, as he writes this, whenever I read this section, I always think of that movie Gladiator. I love Gladiator. I know it's a little violent. But, but the story of, you know, General Maximus, who's this great Roman general, but through, through the events of it, he suddenly finds himself a fugitive and then a prisoner. And then now he's a gladiator. And uh, because of his military skill and might, he, he starts succeeding. And so he's brought with his other group of gladiators to Rome finally. They're in the great Colosseum. And, and the whole show is that they're going to reenact the, the Battle of Carthage. Maximus and the other soldiers that are there they're supposed to be those that get slaughtered from Carthage. There's that one scene as they're walking out, and, and I remember they go out into the center of the Colosseum, and he looks at the rest of them, and he says, no matter what happens, stay together. In fact, he looks down at the tunnel, and, and he says, no matter what comes out of that tunnel, stay together. And then suddenly these chariots start flying out of the tunnel. 
And these warriors on chariots are circling them. And they're throwing spears. And they just circle together. And they, they put their shields up with it. And they get closer with it. And one of them panics. And he takes off to run. And, and he's killed. And, and Maximus calls again. Stay together. Hold. And he just lets them circle. And circle. Until the right opportunity. Now, I, I love that scene as a guy. I love that movie. But I can't help but hear that echo in these words with Paul. As Paul's looking at this church in Philippi, and I think Paul would look at churches and maybe churches in the Bay Area and churches in our country today, churches that, are, that feel like they're under fire in different ways, and, and people want to break up and they want to panic. People want to, to over-respond and maybe in different ways. People want to look at it and go, well, if the culture's changed so much, maybe we should change our beliefs too. And Paul goes, whoa, stay together. Hold. You, you have the truth. Man, stand firm on that truth. You have the means to see people's lives change. Strive together as you share the gospel. I mean, you have the bigger perspective. You know what kingdom you're a part of. So you don't have to be scared what happens here. You're part of something much bigger than here. Man, I hope you feel the echoing of those words. Because we need that and we need each other. See, that's what kingdom conduct looks like. And then he finishes out, and as only Paul can do, he, he says, hey, l- let me just frame this as well, because you've got some kingdom gifts. You, you have some distinct things that Christ has given you. Look how he finishes out the passage with it. He says, for it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I'm in this with you. But two things have been granted to you. Look at the first thing. We have been given the gift of salvation from Christ. He says, it has been granted to you to receive this gift of salvation. And and guys, this is such an important perspective. Because you you can talk about the culture changing. We talk about feeling under attack. And and, and you start looking at people out there and what they believe. and, and, And it just feels crazy at times. And it's easy to get real judgmental of them. It's really easy to look at them and go, oh, look how pagan they are. And, and those are those times that you go, wait a second. Salvation was given to me. I didn't come to it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't smarter than anybody else. I wasn't better than anybody else. But it was given to me by Jesus Christ. And there, there's a humility that comes out of that. They go, yeah, I was given this gift. And even in a culture that I feel against, I just want to share it with them. I I want them to experience what I've experienced. Now, Paul's a realist. And as much as we'd love to say, oh man, as soon as they hear the gift, everybody will come to it. He also knows, no, that's not been my experience. Yeah, there are people that come to it. There are people, their eyes are open. And then there's a lot of others. They get that much more offended. Remember earlier in the passage, he said, when you stand firm, it's a sign of their destruction. When you stand on truth, and it's amazing how convicting truth can be. When you stand on truth, and you can say truth even the most winsome way. And when it cuts across a life, when it cuts across a belief system, when it cuts across a culture, we're we're seeing it now. It's amazing how much people can attack. 
So Paul says, there's another gift you guys have been given. You've been given the gift of suffering for Christ. Now he's not just talking about suffering in general. There's suffering that comes because of evil. There's suffering that comes about being in a fallen world. There's suffering sometimes we face because we made bad choices. But specifically with this church, he says, you guys are like me in this one. Man, we were given the gift of salvation, but we were also given the gift of suffering. And even as I say that, that's usually not how we phrase that, the gift of suffering. It's not one of those gifts we're signing up for. You know, when God's saying, hey, I want to give out gifts. <laughs> hey, send that one my way. We don't want it. And, and there's nothing in Scripture that says we're supposed to go seek suffering out. But there's a lot in Scripture that says if you live this kind of kingdom conduct, you should expect it. You should expect it'll come in different ways. Sometimes it comes in your family. Sometimes it comes at work. Sometimes it comes in your country. Sometimes your whole world turns. I mean, the history of Christianity, even in the last hundred years, of those who faced intense persecution because of their faith in Christ. You know, over the summer, I, I read the book by Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. And uh, he spent a lot of time in former communist countries. And one of them in Romania, talking to Christians and others, and, and what they experienced is their culture changed. And he's got a lot of great insight for us as we look at our culture. But I think the part that stood out to me the most was the different pastors, the different Christians, and how they stood for their faith in circumstances, frankly, that we, we can't really fathom. I, I read about one of those pastors in Romania. I'll close out with this. John Oros, who's a pastor, and, and he talked about living under that kind of persecution. And at church, he would share the gospel and people would come to Christ. They'd say, man, I want to have faith in Christ. And it was interesting, his response. He'd always bring them down. And they'd go, man, I want to have a relationship with Christ. Now, as a pastor, my first response would be, oh, man, that's awesome. Let's pray. And he'd always stop and he'd go, are you sure? Because this step is really costly in our country. In fact, he, he would do a three-month class with them. Not to say that they weren't Christians, but he'd he go, I, I really want to ground you in the faith. And at the end of the three-month class, they would not only in that step, but they'd have the opportunity to be baptized. And before that baptism, again, he'd stop. And he'd say, are you sure? In fact, listen to his words as he describes it. He, he would say, I typically would say to someone at the end of that class, it's really nice that you want to become a Christian. But when you give your testimony through baptism, they're going to be informers here at the church and they're going to write down your name. The next day, there will be problems that will start. You need to count the cost. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You can lose your job. A lot of our members lost their friends. You can lose neighbors. Your kids that are trying to climb up the social ladder, they'll be stopped in their careers as well. You could even lose your life. And at the end of that conversation, he said, I, I cannot tell you what it's like to look in the eye of a person when you ask them that and to see the tears in their eyes and over and over again, you know what their response would be? Even if I lose everything, it's worth it because I have Jesus. And he changes everything. Guys, I'll be honest. I've never faced that. And it's hard for me to even see the world that way. 
but I want to. Not because I, I want to see our country go through something like that. And we don't know that it will. We don't know what God will do. But, but there's a truth that they grabbed, and I think it's a truth that all of us should grab, no matter what we face. And we can stand firm together. We have the truth. But we can actually strive. We can be proactive sharing that truth. We can stay together. Because we've been knit together through Jesus Christ. So he gave us a gift of salvation. Would we even embrace the gift of suffering for him as he calls us to that? I told you this is a countercultural perspective. It's a different way of seeing the world. But I love the voice of our grizzled leader, Paul, as he writes to us from his prison. And he's calling out and he's looking at you and me and he's going, hey, stay together. No matter what comes out of that tunnel, you guys stay together. And we can because of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for Paul's life, that he lived it. He didn't just teach us, but he lived it out. Thank you for believers that have gone before us in much harder circumstances. Lord, I pray for each of us. Would you strengthen our faith? Would you strengthen us as a church? Would you strengthen us as believers? Would we know how to live this out? That we really could stand firm on the truth that you've given us? That, that we really would be proactive? That we're sharing and striving to share this truth? Lord, I, you know my heart that we would stay together because you drew us together and the witness that is to our world. Lord, thanks for the gift of salvation. Not one of us earned it. Not one of us were worthy but you still adopted us into your family. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.